Bible, you can get one from these guys. James chapter 1, just raise your hand, they'll get you a Bible. And we're, we're it, uh, James comes after Hebrews. <clears throat> if we ever had a coffee shop, that's what we'd name it, Hebrews. <laughs> dork alert, dork alert. <laughs> now, uh, before I have you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, I want to share with you uh, an email I received this, this uh, past week, and it was from the editor of the Acorn, and he's a sweet guy, his name is Kyle Jory, he's just a sweet, sweet guy, and I'm so thankful to the Lord for him. He said, hey, Pastor Rob, long time no speak, hope all is well. Sorry for the late notice, uh, and this was Monday, December 17th. Sorry for the late notice, but I got to thinking over the weekend that I'd love to have you submit an op-ed to the acorn ahead of Christmas about the true meaning of Christmas and how we can apply it to our lives. You've always given such amazing Christmas sermons. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was hoping you could put one down in writing for us. Well, that's hard because I usually steal them. Uh, and, and, ri- and writing for us and that we can share with our many readers, especially with Friday's tragedy. I'd really love to include a message of faith and hope in this week's paper. I would need it by tomorrow evening. So with your busy schedule, that might not be possible, but I thought at least I'd ask. Either way, we should grab coffee or sushi sometime soon and catch up. Regards, Merry Christmas, Kyle Jory. So I got it in on the deadline. Um... But then he called me back, and he, he said, Pastor Rob, uh, I, I, I'm sorry. Well, actually, I called him, said, you know, Kyle, did you get it? And everything. He said, I was just about to write you an email. He said, the higher-ups uh, wouldn't, wouldn't let it go through. And, uh, and I said, you know, Kyle, I, I kind of figured as much, but I was blessed that you'd asked me, and I said, I wrote the letter for you. Uh, I, I'm not sure if Kyle knows the Lord, but I know he's, he's uh, s- sympathetic to the things of God. He's, he's moving that way. And he's just, he's just a sweet, sweet guy, and he's got a great heart. So this is how the letter that isn't going to go out was written, and I wanted to read it to you because <laughs> I need some audience. <laughs> it actually ties in with the message today. I wrote, he wanted 500 words. So I wrote, serving as a minister in the Conejo Valley for these past 11 years has allowed me to witness many wonderful joys and a few tragedies. The joys are too numerous to count and often forgotten. The tragedies, however... Though few, always leave a vivid memory. As a minister in times of tragedy, I find myself being called on to explain God to people engulfed in confusion and despair. Questions like, where is God in all this mess? Or, how could God allow this to happen always seem to arise during these times? As Christmas approaches, these questions and others are being asked right now as our nation suffers through yet another senseless mass murder of children. As a minister of God... Now being called on to help answer these questions, I confess I feel like God's press secretary. His administration is not well-liked, nor are his policies in favor with the majority of citizens. God is not concerned with opinion or popularity, and that makes my job a bit difficult at times. God is, however, concerned with the truth. Jesus said to Pilate, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. The truth is, this world of ours is filled with sin and evil. If God wanted to destroy the sin and evil, then He would have to destroy us. Instead, in mercy and with grace, He seeks to save sinners through the atoning sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. 
Many have come to believe that these mindless, horrible shootings would end if we could just remove guns from our society. Many believe that more laws would make us safer. How I wish it were that easy. The problem is not guns or government intrusion. The problem is we all need a change of heart. God says, cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. God is offering us all a new heart for Christmas and Jesus is the key to that new heart. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then Jesus declares to us, and listen to this, Jesus declares to us, please listen, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I know this is, a, is not a popular message to many, but I know it to be true. As God's temporary press secretary, I know my boss is not concerned with popularity, but truth. Jesus was born, and that is Christmas, to bear witness of the truth, popular or not. The truth is, we need a new heart. For Christmas this year, let's get a new heart. It will do us all a world of good. Merry Christmas. Now that... That, as I figured, was offensive. <laughs> Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. People don't like to be told that you have the corner of the market on truth and that they're wrong. No one likes to be told they're wrong. In a world of situational ethics, where everything is subjective, if that's good for you, that's great. But when someone declares that he has a corner on the market of truth, those things sometimes offend people, and I see why. But I, I have to commend Kyle Jory. He's a good man. Pray for him. He's a blessing. And I, I just thank the Lord for him. Um, now, he actually set it up as I, I put this together. He set it up so that my heart would be moved for this message. And once again, it is a Christmas message. And if some of you are saying, why aren't you dressed up? We're coming to Christmas. I'm going to wear a suit for two services, Christmas Eve. So just shut it, okay? <laughs> All right. I just didn't want to wear a suit today. I only have one. Didn't want it dirty. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're in James chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. So James chapter 1, please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord and we'll sit for the word of the teacher. James chapter 1, this was written by James the Just. James is the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus. And uh, he wrote this epistle, and it's an amazing epistle. And uh, he's writing it actually to a Jewish culture, uh, but it's just as relevant to us. So we're going to pick up at verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. One of my favorite verses, listen. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Or better put, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. For those of you who say, well, I'm Italian, that's why I'm angry. No, you're a sinner. I just thought I'd say that. <laughs> I'm Irish, that's why I'm angry. I drink. No, okay. Verse 21. Therefore... Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of what? Let's do that again. He who looks into the perfect law of? What is liberty? Liberty. Freedom. We're Americans. We know that. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. This one will be blessed in what he does. This one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue 
but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Pretty cool, huh? Let's pray and ask God to give us some insights on that. Lord, we thank you. Holy Spirit, you say that you'll lead us into all truth. Lord, I want to be, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, I want to study to show myself approved unto you, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so, Lord, I ask that you would bless this time. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to every heart, that you would teach us what true, what true liberty is. As a nation, we are a liberty-loving people. We are a freedom-loving people. people. And I, I, I pray, Lord, that you would establish that today, that we would know the definition of that word. And so, God, I ask that you'd strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat. <clears throat> Looking at the passage of Scripture, when um, James the Just is writing this, he's speaking to a covenant of Christian people, people who have covenanted their hearts together to join in a common belief uh, in seeking Jesus Christ. That's what they have in common. We do communion the first Sunday of every month, and, and that is the commonality of us as people. That's what unifies us, is our love for the Lord, that it was His body broken, His blood was shed for the remission of our sins. We recon- rec- uh, recognize that He is our Savior. We hold that in common. This is a communion table where we commune together, we covenant together. And in a world of individualism, in a world where you know, we seek our own, This idea of a covenant is quickly breaking down. We no longer see the power of covenant in marriage, and thus we enter out of marriage or we leave marriage as quickly as we enter into it. There's no no bearing on this commitment to one another in life. But as Christians, God calls us to covenant together as a fellowship of believers that we're one in Christ, and we recognize that, that we testify to a fallen world, to those who are seeking the truth, that we would declare to them the truth, they would know the truth, the truth would set them free. We have a, a king who said, for the, you, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this reason I came into the world. For this reason I was born, to bear witness of the truth. And that's, that's a king that declares himself, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I mean, you want to talk about narrow. Jesus Christ is so narrow. He is. Truth is narrow. We've studied it. Two plus two is. And we know that. We can't say three, even though we feel it should be three. There's no situational ethics. Truth isn't subjective. Truth is truth, period. And Jesus declares himself to be the truth. He stands upon that. He expects his children to follow, his followers to love the truth and to honor the truth. And what is this truth? What is this religion? Religion is a Latin word. It's relongari. It means to relink, reconnect with God. People say, well, I'm not in a religion. I'm in a relationship. Well, as Christians, no, we are. it is a religion. It is a religion. We reconnect with God. And how do we do that? There's only, there's only one true religion in the world. Oh, Pastor, how can you say that? That's narrow. Well, there's only one right answer for 2 plus 2 is 4, so just save it. So it works like this. Every religion in the world, every religion in the world, their attempt to relink to God, relongari, to relink with God, every religion in the world is man trying to attempt to get to God by good works or obedience, and then they achieve this reconnection with God by not drinking, smoking, or chewing, or hanging around with those who are doing and they relink by their efforts. Christianity is separated from every religion in the world by this. It's God reconnecting with man through his son, paying the penalty for our sin, making the way possible that we would receive by faith. We don't earn it. He gives it to us. We receive it by faith. 
We don't have to earn it. He's not a capricious God. He's not up there waiting to go, oh, you screwed up. <laughs> Lightning, death. Rah! He is a God who is just. And when he takes our sin, he says that, that, that you know, death is the, is the penalty for sin. Consequences of sin is death. So he's, he's merciful and he's gracious, but he's also just. Well, how can he be merciful and gracious to forgive us our sins? Well, he's just because he paid the sins upon the cross by giving his only son. Totally different than any religion in the world. Absolutely fascinating, this idea that we've been saved by grace, not by works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And then along comes James. Along comes James. And that's why, that's why Luther struggled and he said this is the epistle of straw. Not that he dismissed the epistle, but that, that James said that, that faith without works is dead. And we're going to see this as we, we continue in our study of this, this wonderful letter. And so James the just looks at the congregation of sinners who've been saved by grace. And he looks at them and he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. In a world of individualism, we want to be heard. In a world of Christ, we need to listen. Two ears, one mouth, twice as much listening as talking. We love to talk. That's why I'm a pastor. <laughs> we love to talk. We hate to listen. We're quick to anger. You, how dare you? Driving on the freeway. You meant that. The minute someone says something, we're just jumping on them. The Bible says it's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. We're quick to anger. We just get angry. What are we so angry about? And the Bible says, for the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. I mean, we were so quick out of the gates to just light somebody up. But the Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We're so quick to give justice for those who have wronged us. And yet we want mercy from God. We only get mercy if you give it. And James is saying, listen, this is the kingdom of the truth. This is the kingdom of the merciful. This is the kingdom of grace. So verse 21, he says, therefore, lay aside. You, you can tell that you're not walking in the faith because you're, you're angry. You can tell you're not walking in the faith because you're just, you're talking endlessly. You can tell you're not in the faith. You don't listen. You don't care what anyone else has to say. It's all about you. Christianity isn't about you. It's about the Lord. It's about others. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's the, that's the acronym for joy. And, and, and he depicts somebody who's all about them. And then he gets to the place where he says, therefore, with this understanding, therefore, with this understanding, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And you know what it is. We don't need to go through the laundry list for each of us. We're all guilty. There's none righteous, no, not one. Any of you come in here with your nose tilted high because you think you're better? Look, we'll just follow you with some hidden cameras for a week. And we'll even connect to those thoughts in your brain, the ones that you don't express, that vile thought process that goes through. You know what it is. You can't sit in your seat and say, well, I, I'm better than Rob McCoy. And I've said it often, I'll say it a thousand times more. It's not hard to be better than me. If you get to heaven and say, let me in because I'm better than that stupid pastor, God will say, who isn't? Unfortunately, he's not the standard. My son is, and you rejected him. So depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. You don't get in on your own righteousness. There's none righteous. No, not one. You're not right with God. You're a sinner. Sin means missing the mark. You missed it. Everyone's missed it. We've fallen short of perfection. 
But God says to us today, true religion is this. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive. Listen, receive. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And the only way that you're saved is to receive that gift. That's Christmas. He gave his son. It's Christmas. We give gifts at Christmas. And they're only yours when you receive them. You can reject them. The UPS guy can drop it off. So get this out of here. It's for my brother and I hate him. Just get as far away from me as possible. You don't want the gift. Your anger has separated you from the gift. Your judgment has separated you from the gift. But the Lord has given you a son. The Bible says receive it with meekness. Receive what? The implanted word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Jesus is the alpha and the omega of God. He is the alphabet of God. The A and the Z of God. He is the word. And he's the true word. And you receive it with meekness. The opposite of meekness? Pride. Meekness is strength under control. It's a bit in a horse's mouth. A small piece of metal can guide the horse right and guide the horse left. But your pride is what keeps you from wanting to be governed. You don't want to be governed. You don't want a bit in your mouth. You don't want any authority. But in meekness, you receive this gift from God, which is able to save your souls. There's nothing else that's going to save you. It's not your pride and your arrogance that you're special and that you can earn God's favor because you're superhuman. It won't work. It's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. You'll stand before God to give an accounting of your life. And James says, give up the quest of individualism. Let the bit be put in your mouth and let the, the word of God guide and direct you in meekness that it would save your soul. Put aside your pride. Humble yourself in the sight of God and he will lift you up. And then he says this to us. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. There's countless people who've been in church their whole life that are as far from Christ as most people I've met in the world. It was Corey Tinboom's father who's, who's, who was speaking and Corey questioned saying, but father, they've given up the Jews and they've, they've told them where we live and they've been in our church our entire life. They've been in the church for 50 years. They're the ones that, that told, told the Germans that we were hiding Jews. And her father looked at her and said, Corey, just because the mouse is in the cookie jar doesn't make him a cookie. Being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. You may hear all you want to hear, but your heart is hard. Your heart is hard, is what I wanted to say. Your heart is hard. Every week you hear it and it bounces right off. The, the, the truths do not coincide with the life you want to live. You don't want the bit to pull to that direction. Yesterday, last week's message, I know, is a tough one. Uh, tithing? I mean, that's like, I ain't going that way. And the Lord says, submit yourself. Submit. But he goes on to say, look, you're not allowing the word to guide you. You're hearing it, but you're not doing it. You're hearing it, but you're not doing it. Oftentimes when we teach the children, they say, you know, you're, you take out the trash. I need you to take the trash out and come back. The trash is still full. And they said yes to you. Yes, Dad. They said yes, but they're not doing it. They heard it. They're not doing it. You're here, not a doer. You sit down and you say, don't say yes, Dad. Repeat the command to me. You said take the trash out. When? Now. Okay. Why are you still standing there? Yes, sir. And they do call me, sir. No, no, they don't. They don't. <laughs> all, all the time. But... 
So be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. And then he goes on to say, you're deceiving yourselves. You're not a Christian. You're not right with God. This is a scam. It's a sham. It's a joke. Hear it and do it. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and is not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, and he observes himself and goes away. And immediately forgets what kind of man he was. I mean, I've shared this before. It's a perfect illustration for this. I was getting ready to go, I think, to Russia. And I had to have my passport renewed. And I went down, I had some passport photos taken at Kinko's, or FedEx now. They took those passport photos, and I was giving it my best look. <laughs> and the four of them came out. And I couldn't wait to see what a handsome-looking... Oh! They were awful. I'm like, that is not me. I just looked at those. U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. You ugly. Yes, you ugly. It was awful. And I didn't have time to take other pictures, but it was going to be on my passport. And it was just, it was terrible. And I remember going home and, 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 and looking at this picture that would, had been done by a, a master photographer in San Jose as a Christmas gift to my family. And he took a picture of Michelle and I at, at Alum Rock Park in San Jose. And there was a stream in the fall colors. And we were wearing, you know, denim. And it was just really cool looking. And there's Michelle. And there I am. And I mean, I look good, and the hair, it, my hair is blonde, and the sunshine's coming through, and it's giving this little halo appearance. I'm like, that's me, baby. That's me right there. I'm, oh, you are studly. No wonder that woman's all over you. She's hot. Look at that. That is a perfect picture. Of, that could go on a wedding cake is what I'm saying. And, and I thought, that's me. This is not me. That's me. And then I went into the bathroom in the mirror. I'm like, and I held up the photo looked in the mirror looked at the photo looked in the mirror and i realized as you look in the mirror it's a reflection of who you are and that's what the word of god is i'm looking at the pic this is who i am and see the word of god it's the only book in the world we don't read it it reads us you look into the perfect law of liberty you look into the word of god and you allow it to read you you can see the areas of failure shortcomings And God's not doing it to condemn you. He's doing it so that you can be aware of it and by his strength overcome it. I'm more than conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. The Bible says we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so when he says that he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was, you're not letting the word of God read you any more than I wanted the mirror to read me, any more than I wanted this picture. But that's the hard truth. That's the hard truth. Well, pastor, I'm no sinner. Uh, You don't call me a sinner. Really. You've never lied. Well, nothing to speak of. One lie makes you a liar. You've never lusted for any one of the opposite sex, or even for the same sex. Well, you're an adulterer, fornicator. You ever yelled at anyone, said you're stupid? The Bible says you're a murderer. That's what the Word says. Not me. You've been coveting? Just go through the Ten Commandments. The law was given to drive us to Christ for us to realize, I can't keep these. There are some commandments I've never had a problem with. Thou shall not eat bat meat. 
Um, I think Tomo over at Tomodachi's probably served me something close to it. I don't know. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> oh, it's very good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's always trying to get me to eat something I've never eaten before. He better not have put bat meat in there because I'm clear on that one. <laughs> but the scripture says to us that when we look into this mirror and we observe our natural face in a mirror, remember, we're looking and we're seeing it. We're going, okay. I'm not 19 anymore. I'm not an all-American swimmer. I got more chins than a Chinese phone book. I've got a moving problem. My chest has moved into my drawers. I used to have a washboard stomach, now I got laundry on it, you know? I'm not 19 anymore. In my head, I'm going, you, 19, you're all that. No. And then you, 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 you exercise like you're 19. You get about 10 yards, you're like, I'm 80. <laughs> Whenever I have an urge to exercise, I just lay down, it goes away. <laughs> verse 25 says, listen, verse 25, this is, this is our hope this morning. Listen to it, verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty continues in it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a, wait a minute. What is liberty again? Freedom. Say it again. Freedom. The law of liberty? Anyone see the contradiction in that? The law of liberty. You are under the law of freedom. <laughs> How can a law set me free? I don't understand. You see, I'm losing my freedom because they're taking my guns away. They can pry it out of my cold, dead fingers. Somebody going, Pastor, are you not pro-guns? I own one. You want to mess with me? Relax. I just want to know where you're coming from. Slow down, cowboy. Law of liberty. Law of liberty. And continue in that law of liberty. <laughs> what is a law of liberty? What is a law of freedom? The Bible says we're under the law of sin and death. We've been set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is the law of liberty. Law of liberty. Law of liberty. I don't get it. And it says, and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. You follow the law of liberty and you do what is required of you. You will be blessed in all that you do. What is this law of liberty? He says, if anyone thinks that he's religious, you want to talk about law of liberty? You think that you're religious. You think you're right with God. He says, if you don't bridle your tongue, you deceive your own heart. Your religion is useless. You're just taking up a chair in the sanctuary. Nobody's benefiting from your presence. Most of all, your family. Your religion is useless. Do you want pure and undefiled religion? Before God and the Father, it's this. Visit orphans and widows in their trouble. <laughs> in their trouble. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. What is a widow and an orphan in their trouble? 
I've, I've experienced a couple of times. As a chaplain, I was a first responder in a number of times. Where somebody lost their best friend of 50, 60 years. And walk in and what do you do now? Do you realize this was the first time Hermine has sung since her husband Igor died? You know how hard that was for her? You know how tough of a day it was when Igor passed away? To visit people in those times? Ever been with a child when their parents have died? It's going to require a lot of you. You're going to endeavor with them through some really heavy stuff. And if you're going to be with them in their time of trouble, that trouble lasts a long time. You will be inconvenienced. And then in addition, the Lord says, you want to know what else is true religion? Keep yourself unspotted from the world. What's the world? It's all about me. I share all this with you this morning because Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house. It did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and its fall was great. When Jesus ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teachings. They were astonished at his teachings. You know, he said, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And yet, God would declare in his word the law of liberty. Lawlessness, the law of liberty. Practice lawlessness, you go to hell. But we've been set free from the law. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law. You've been set free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Yet he declares that we're under the law of liberty and we must depart from him, enter into hell if we practice lawlessness. What are you saying, God? It's confusing. Well, there's a law of liberty. We're governed by laws that are immutable. They can't be changed. Law of gravity. I don't care if you believe it or you don't believe it, you're under it. You better honor it. Some of us already are. Look at our faces. That's how I can do these wrinkles. Now, on December 26, 1941, 19 days after the attack on Pearl Harbor, 19 days after the attack on Pearl Harbor, December 26th, I mean, we're coming up to that. And this is an interesting season because we have the 23rd, and then that's a Sunday, and then we have Christmas Eve service, which is, you know, Monday, two services. And then uh, we have Christmas Day, which is, you know, full with family and stuff. And then, and then the 26th. And I'm tired. I can imagine a politician, and then they've got to come back to Washington for the physical cliff discussions and the rancor and all the misery. 
The 26th. You would think nobody would show up at Congress, but both houses were packed in a joint session of Congress. And, and it was December 26, 1941, because they wanted to hear a man speak whose name was Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England. And he stood in a, in a packed house and he said to them, in relation to the attack that the Japanese has, had perpetrated on America, as we declared war and entered into war with England, now against Nazi Germany, taking on a two-fronted war, 22nd largest army in the world, and we were facing perilous times. We'd just come out of uh, over 10 years of, of a depression. And you think times are tough now. You have no idea. And the greatest generation came out of the depression. And as America's reeling from losing half of its Pacific fleet or half of its naval fleet, and it's at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, and this man comes to speak to them, and he's the last vestige in Europe, and he hasn't given up. And he looks at America, and he says to the joint session of Congress, he says, my mother was American and my father was English. Had it been the other way around, I would be in, in the Congress right now. I would be one of your citizens. He says, but I come to you today... And this was the heart of his message and his address. And he asked a famous question to his listeners in the joint session of Congress in the light of the Japanese aggression. He said this. He said, what kind of a people? What kind of a people do they think we are? Is it possible that they do not realize that we shall never cease to persevere against them until they have been taught a lesson which they and the world will never forget? At which point, the house erupted. What kind of a people do they think we are? That was a deep crisis, mind you. In crisis, we ask questions often of ourselves like, what should we do? What should we do? In a crisis, we say, what should we do now? If the crisis goes deeper, oftentimes, we struggle. We say, where are we and how did we get here? Where are we? How did we get here? That's a deeper crisis. But a deeper crisis still, as Churchill declared, who do other people think we are? How dare they? Who do they think we are? But here's the deepest question of the deepest crisis, and this is the one we address this morning. As we look into the law of liberty, who do we think we are? Who do we think we are? Christians. Who do we think we are? Americans. Who do we think we are? That's a good question. We're eight decades out of the Great Depression, seven decades out of Pearl Harbor. We're four decades out of the tumultuous 60s. We're two decades out of the collapse of the Soviet Union, one decade out of 9-11. And we're now in the midst of one of the greatest trials a nation has ever faced. And we're left with this question of who are we? Who are we? It was Augustine who asked this question. or I should say it was Augustine who made this statement. Augustine said the best way to define a people is by their loved thing held in common. What is it that we love that we hold in common? What is this thing that we love that we hold in common? And this is what Augustine said defines a people. A people can be judged as better or worse according to what they love. And their nation can be assessed as healthy or unhealthy according to the condition of what they love. What do you think Americans love? You, you said it. What do we love? Freedom. Freedom. Liberty and justice for all. 
We demand freedom. We want to export freedom. We love liberty. And yet we're going through the passage of Scripture that says the law of liberty, and we have no idea what it means. We don't even know what freedom means, yet we espouse it as the, the, the supreme de- defining thing that unites us as a people. Liberty. Freedom. I mean, this is why we're so upset. There would be a debate. After 20 children have been shot, it now becomes the center of debate. And those, as Benjamin Franklin said, those who would sacrifice their liberty for the sake of security deserve neither. And here we are, we're, we're, we, nobody wants any more children shot. And if the removal of guns could do it, I would do it tomorrow. What is our problem? What is the issue? Freedom is unquestionably what Americans love supremely. And the love of freedom is what makes Americans the people they are. Now remember this. We declare freedom, but we do not know what it is. And listen to this statement. Freedom always faces a fundamental moral challenge. Freedom requires order and therefore restraint. Yet the only restraint that does not contradict freedom is self-restraint, which is the very thing that freedom undermines when it flourishes. We think that freedom is getting to do what we want to do anytime we want to do it. And by that, we lose our freedom. Give everyone a gun. Let everyone watch every violent video game imaginable. Let every drug be prescribed to every person freely at any time they want. Let, 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 let anything be called entertainment, no matter how violent, how decadent, how miserable. Permeate the brains of our children with that. Remove God. Let us have freedom of anything we want to pursue. And then that freedom creates anarchy and chaos and destruction. Because there's no self-restraint. And what Paul, excuse me, what James the Just is saying is, this is the law of liberty. It's restraint. Hold your tongue. Do what is right. That's freedom. See, the idea is this. The idea is this. A Christian view of freedom, a Christian view of freedom provides leadership with character, freedom with virtue, business with integrity and trust, the rule of law with cultivation of habits of the heart, education with an emphasis not only on grades and credentials, but on the meaning of life, and medicine with human and ethical values as strong as the science that drives the technology. That's, that is a picture of Christian freedom. But it comes with a promise to the Lord. God, this is your word. I promise to keep it. I covenant with you. You gave me your life. I give you mine. But here's the problem. We're so selfish. We're so selfish. You see, a human being only finds his identity in community. God created us to be other-centered. True freedom, the Bible says, a man will only gain his life when he loses it. It comes in the service of one another. But when we have been given that freedom by our founding fathers and by ultimately God himself, we now come to a place of affluence because we're blessed in that freedom to be able to have, you know, capitalism and the like and, and unrestrained production and, and all these things. And then, and then we get to a place of affluence and we decide to forget God. 
And in forgetting God, we make it all about us. And in making it all about us, our relationships become very shallow and, tr- and, 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 and we no longer covenant and work in the context with one another. So here we are in a culture where we think friendship is Facebook. Oh, that's deep. You're my friend. Oh, boop, you're unfriended. Oh, that's deep. And you come to church and you just say, I didn't like the worship. And you go somewhere else. That's not a covenant. That's not true religion. That's ridiculous. That's void of anything of substance and significance. You've not invested in any life. You've made it all about you. And in our idea of relationships, it's so shallow that it's a wonder. As we pursue this freedom in America, it's a wonder. The longer we go in this direction, we end up in relationships that are ever more atomized, virtual and a matter of temporary convenience rather than lasting covenant. As a result, the United States is becoming a vast culture of singles and loners, whether unmarried singles or previously married singles, because it's all about me, because I'm worth it. The result is not freedom so much as narcissism and loneliness. For the Christian view, there is no greater danger than the shift from the sanctity of life to the quality of life. And no more forlorn hope than the widening of the meaning of marriage at the same time as the weakening of the bonds of covenant. No ties, no tears, man. That's what the cool ones say. Those whose philosophy when relationships frustrate or fail is always to just move on, man, move on. A rolling stone gathers no moss. But relationships in the traditional view are not a matter of ownership, but of belonging. They're not a question of calculation or consumption, but of commitment. You know why you honor God's word? is because we're committed to one another and we're committed to the fallen and the lost. We're committed to God wanting to reach them. That's why we do this. It's not about your comfort or my comfort. It's about God's covenant and his heart for the lost. And we do that together. We freely consent. There's mutual binding covenants. Christian marriages doesn't mean that either member of the couple owns the other. Mm -mm. But rather we belong to one another. I belong to my wife. My wife belongs to me. We belong together. That's a covenant. Till death do us part. The Christian way of freedom is a vision of freedom based on truth. Oh, pastor, who are you to declare truth? That's awfully arrogant. No, it's true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Freedom is always tempered freedom. Freedom within a framework of truth and virtue. Thus, freedom's key question is, who governs me? Who governs me? You see, if, if, if we go through this idea thinking freedom is the freedom to do whatever we want, it's not. Freedom requires truth and virtue, for it is only within the framework of what is true and right and good and beautiful that freedom can be found. That's the law of liberty, doing what is right. You can free things from alien or accidental laws, but not from the laws of their own nature. 
you may, if you like, free a tiger from his bars, but you can't free him from his stripes. Freedom then, freedom then is never simply privacy or freedom from interference or the right to be left alone. That's not freedom. Freedom is not choice so much as the right choice. Good choice and wise choice. When everything, listen, when everything is, listen, when everything is permissible, no one is truly free. So it is ironic but not accidental that millions in the land of the free are in recovery groups from one addiction or another. We're not free. We're in bondage. If you were a follower of Bertrand Russell, freedom will be different to you because you see that humans are a product of chance, an accident of the universe. If you follow like Peter Singer, that humans are no more than animals, and, and, and then your views of freedom will be different. But if you were a Christian, then you understand that human dignity is inalienable because it is grounded in the fact that each person is made in the image of God. Certain inalienable rights endowed by our Creator, life, liberty, Life, liberty, life, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness by our founding fathers wasn't the accumulation of possessions. Happiness was the pursuit of virtue. What is right and what is true? We've lost that. True liberty is being able to do what one ought to want and not being constrained to do what one ought not to want. You know what freedom is? Being set free from our sin nature. The Apostle Paul says, those things that I don't want to do, those I do. And those things I want to do, those I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We're coming up. This is the 23rd. We're coming up. Yes, we're coming up to New Year's. How many people have made a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand. Pray God. Raise it. Come on. Who's made a New Year's resolution sometime in your life? Raise your hand. No, keep them up. This is, I'm not the only one exercising today. Look around the room. Look at all the hands. Oh, you didn't make one, Lou? You know you did, you liar. How many people have broken their resolution? Keep your hand up, you losers. Shh, huh? It's a room full of donkeys. Amen? Shh, huh? Together. Shh, huh? That's going to show up on the radio. Listen, listen. You don't have the law of liberty. You're bound by the law of sin and death. Only God can set you free but you must be a doer of the word. He will give you the word, and by his spirit, he'll give you the power to obey that word. Freedom is not the power of doing what we like, but the right of being able to do what we should and what is right. That's freedom. Freedom thrives on self-restraint and the power to say no. It rests on strong convictions about what is true and on equally strong constraints about what is false. A culture with no claims on its members. A culture with no claims on its members. I'm almost finished. Thank you. A culture with no claims on its members or curbs on their desires. That'll be on the radio too. A culture with no claims on its members or curbs on their desires, listen, would be a culture with no future. We're in self-destruct mode. Freedom requires a firm refusal of what is false, what is bad, what is excessive, what is ugly, and above all, what a person is not and should not ever try to become. When everything is tolerable, when everything is tolerable, nothing will be true, and when nothing is true, no one will be free. Christian, you are not free when you lie. You're not free when you 
blast out in wrath. You're not free when you do what is wrong. Produce what is ugly. Treat another human being in a way that violates his or her own personhood. We're Christians. We're different. We have a new nature. Christ dwells in us. Isaiah says, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, saith the Lord. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, says the Lord. Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is the law of liberty to do what is right. We had no ability to do what was right. And Jesus said, for this reason, I was born to bear witness of the truth, to testify of the truth. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus will give you the strength to do what is right through the perfect law of liberty, his word. Don't be a hearer, be a doer. Jesus said, come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You are you've been so burdened and heavy laden listening to the stupidity of every radio talk show coming up with some sort of a solution to all the misery that we're facing. Aren't you tired yet? God says, come to me. Come to me. I have my word. It's a mirror into your soul that will set you free. And when I share it with you, you do it. And it begins with you receiving me into your life. Receiving the word that will save you. And this is the word that will save you. God so loved you that he gave his son to die for you. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's the word that will set you free. And God will take up residence in your life and give you the law of liberty through his word to give you the power to be obedient, to change this world as we know it. And we will be a nation, not of governmental restraint, but of self-restraint. And we will once again be a nation worthy of God. This is Christmas. And Christ was born to set you free. And he was born to bear witness of the truth and he's come to set you free. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads if we would for a moment. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Jesus said, if you profess me before man, I'll profess you before my father in heaven. There comes a point in every man or woman's life where we have to say, God, I receive you. In humility, we receive. In pride, we reject. Well, today is a day of salvation. And God has come to give you his word. And so if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's very simple. He, he paid it all. 
But all you need to do is respond. And the way you respond is to just raise your hand before the Lord. And so if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be a witness to it. It's between you, me, and the Lord. I want you to raise your hand right now. Today's a day of salvation. God bless you. God bless you. Raise your hand. Maybe you've been sitting in a church all your life. God bless you. God bless you. You've been hearing the word, but you haven't been doing it. I want you to raise your hand right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. All right, you can put your hands down. Lord, based on your word, you say, if you profess me before man, I'll profess you before my Father in heaven. And so, Lord, I'm that man, and I've seen their hands. And they have received this gift in humility. They've said, Lord, I, I want you to take up residence in my life. I want a new heart. I want to have the ability to say no. I want to have the power of self-restraint that I would experience the power of the law of liberty. I've been in bondage to all of my selfishness and all my self-wants, but today I have come to realize what liberty is. It's the, it's the law of liberty, the perfect law of liberty. And so, Lord, I thank you for those who responded to you this day and gave their heart to you. I pray that they be planted in fertile soil, that they would produce much fruit. And so, God, we praise you and thank you. And we know that the Bible says that when one person comes to Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice. And so, Lord, we too rejoice with them. And we thank you for this miracle of salvation. It's your word that saves, and it did it today. That's a miracle, God. We praise you for it. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to bear witness of the truth. And we now know the truth, and the truth has set us free in the perfect law of liberty. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's clap for those folks who give their heart to the Lord. Let's stand up if we could. I want you to know if you gave your heart to the Lord, I'm going to have some prayer folks up here. I'm going to have the prayer team to come up. I, I, I know we don't like to have people see stuff in our life, but look, we've all